Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ephesians 6.12, it explains to us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. But from this history, we can see here that the Lord is really wrestling against the power of darkness himself. And if we're to fulfill our role as deliverers from darkness, then we've got to look at this chapter, this chapter four, as laying out for us who we are primarily wrestling against. But there's another lesson for us when we see how the Holy Spirit first led the Lord first away from the people into the wilderness for these 40 days of fasting to be alone with God. I mean, first of all, fasting is a deep expression. It's like a longing. I want to have company with God. I want to be with God. And so the way of expressing that desire to be alone with God is fasting. Fasting is really symbolic of the suffering of the flesh or the withering away of the flesh so that a person can be not distracted from hearing God. That's what fasting's all about. And there was so much work for the Messiah to do, so many people that needed to be healed, so many people that needed to be saved. As he said, so many villages that he had to visit. He had an itinerary that was full and it was pressing. And so the Holy Spirit now leads him to be alone for 40 days. And you know, it shows that we tend to focus on what we have to do in our lives, of what we need to accomplish, of the work that we need to jump into. But the Holy Spirit led the Lord first away from the people into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us first into a communion with God. You know, we wake up in the morning and immediately we think of the checklist of all that we got to get done today. And we want to start checking off some of those things on the list. But the Holy Spirit led the Lord Jesus first away from the people into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead us each day into our wilderness away from our checklist to be alone with God in our morning devotions. So with all the work that the Lord Jesus had to get done, and he only had three short years to get it all done. The fact that the Holy Spirit first leads the Lord away from his work into the wilderness, it shows us that God is more concerned about what we are inwardly than what we do outwardly. I mean, it shows us that we can never be successful in our work for God unless we start our days alone with God in our wilderness This is God's preparation for the work. 
then God is more concerned with what we are than what we do. And in describing this tragedy of uh, mistakenly thinking that God is more concerned with what we do than who we are, the Lord described this tragic group of people in Matthew 7.21. In Matthew 7.21, the Lord said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So this group of people came to the Lord with what they did, and the Lord cast them away. He cast them away not because of what they did, but because of who they did not know. They did not know him. The Lord is more concerned with our close relationship with him more than what we do. And that's the lesson that we get when we see the Holy Spirit leading the Lord away from the people was his work into the wilderness to start his ministry for these 40 days to be alone with God. And this is what happened also with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was explaining to the Roman King Agrippa about his life work. He was telling the Roman King of Agrippa, this is my life work that's given to me by God. And he said to him in Acts 26, 15, Acts 26, 15, Paul was explaining to Agrippa his encounter with God. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Here's his life purpose. To make thee a minister and witness both of those things which thou hast seen and those things which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee to open their eyes, to turn them from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So God speaks to Paul for the first time. The Lord Jesus speaks to Paul for the first time, and he tells him, Paul, Your life work is going to be, you are going to be God's messenger to the Gentiles. You are going to open the eyes of the Gentiles. You're going to turn the Gentiles from darkness to light. You're going to turn the Gentiles from the power of Satan to God. You're going to bring the Gentiles forgiveness of sin. And you can imagine Paul say, that's a big job. And so Paul would say, okay, that's a lot of work to do in a very short lifetime. I need to get started right away. So what did he do? In Galatians 1.15, he tells us what he did. Galatians 1.15, he said, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen or the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. So Paul immediately goes away to be alone with God for three years before he starts his work. Why? Because God was more concerned with what Paul was inwardly over the work that Paul did outwardly. 
Now, so far in this passage here, we've studied two temptations. Two temptations, which now brings us to the final one, which starts with the words in Matthew. It starts with the words in verse 8. It says, again the devil. Again the devil. It's like, oh, again the devil? Okay, again the devil. So here's two defeats. The devil's hat, you know, it's like a zero for the devil, two for the Lord, you know. And you'd think that maybe he'd finish his temptations. No, it starts off again. If you look at that, that word again, it's kind of what our life is going to be like the rest of our lives, in case we didn't know. It's again temptation, one temptation after the other, again another temptation. The devil is going to dog our tracks all the way into heaven, all the way into the gates of heaven. He's going to be nipping at our heels. So again, a temptation. And this is really the Christian life. The Christian life is really a life of increasing intensity, increasing intensity. On one hand, as we go on in our Christian life, the intensity of our love for the Lord Jesus grows. Just like the hymn says, since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So there's an intensity in love that grows. That's on one hand. But on the other hand, as we go on in our Christian life, the intensity of our temptations, of the opposition, that grows also. As another hymn puts it, see the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on, mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone, hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still, wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. So this word again, in verse eight, it's very meaningful to us because it shows us that, in case we haven't figured it out yet, that it's gonna be one battle after another until we reach heaven's shores. All right, so, so far, we've seen how after 40 days of fasting, he's really hungry, the devil tempts him to turn the stones into bread. We've seen how the devil then transported the Lord into Jerusalem, sets him up on this highest point of the temple, and then backs off and says to the Lord, jump, Jump, just jump. Now, let's see what the Lord has here for the last temptation. So in verse eight, again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Again, just like the second temptation where the devil transports the Lord into Jerusalem, sets him up there on the highest point of the temple. Now again, the devil transports the Lord to an exceeding high mountain. And just as we saw in the second temptation, there's only one reason why the devil was able or could transport the Lord, and that was because this was a limited power that was given to him by God. And that's the only reason why the Lord submitted to the devil's limited power was because God had given him that limited power. So here the devil goes. He's transporting the Lord into an exceeding high mountain to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world. Now, first of all, we don't know where this mountain was. We don't know if this is Mount Everest or Mount McKinley. Or I'm sure it wasn't Cal's Mountain, but anyway, we just don't know. Probably not the Mount of Olives. You know, that's not very tall. I mean, it's described as an exceeding high mountain. We're not told what the mountain is or where the mountain is. And you know why? Because it's not important. The only thing that's important is an exceeding high mountain. So he takes them up to the First, he takes him to the highest point of the temple. Now he takes him to the exceeding high mountain. And he takes him up there. And what he did 
was to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Now, if you ask me how the devil was able to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world, I'll tell you, I don't know, but not important. It's not important because he showed them all the kingdoms of the world, and that's what he did in the glory of them, and that's what's important to know here. But one thing is important is that the devil was able to do that, which again shows the limited power that God gave to the devil. Now, kind of think about what he must have showed him there. He must have, I mean, we travel the world, and we go to what are essentially ruins, and we say, wow. <laughs> They're ruins, you know. He didn't show him ruins. He showed him the glory of the imperial palaces of Rome. He showed him the wonder of the hanging gardens in Babylon. He showed him the beauty of Versailles and, and Paris during the kings and grandeur of uh, all those palaces in Egypt and you know, Aztecs and Incas and the Macedonians with Alexander the Great and the Mongolian Empire under Genghis Khan, which was a stretch for China and India and Asia. I mean, showed them all of this, all these kingdoms and the glory of them. And it's interesting in verse 8 that it says, the devil showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them. Now, the devil didn't show the Lord stones turned into bread, and the devil didn't show the Lord the scene of him sailing down through the air at the temple. But here the devil shows the Lord all the kings of the world. And this makes this temptation different from the others. This is a temptation which is centered on the eyes. It's not centered on the flesh as in turning stones to bread, satisfy the hungers of the flesh. It's not centered on pride as Think of how you would be seen if you were falling down from the temple and landed safely. But this is a temptation which is really focused on what he saw. And he pulled out this temptation because the devil had successfully used this temptation of the eyes, called this lust of the eyes, temptation of the eyes, in the original fall. And when you look at the original fall, it's very much focused on the eyes when it says in Genesis 3.6, Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So the devil did not just use words, as he had with the stones and the casting from the temple, to describe, he didn't use words to describe the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He shows it to them. He shows them the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he didn't just use words with Eve to describe, you know, there's some beautiful, oh, you can't believe the beauty of this fruit out there. It's so amazing. He didn't just use that, but he showed it to her. And it wasn't just words that swayed Eve. It was actual sight. Reminds me of one time where I was going to, some Japanese customers were coming from Japan, and I was going to show them San Diego for the first time. I had it all worked out. We're going to drive here. We're going to drive there. And so, you know, it was kind of in the afternoon, their plane was arriving from Japan, but the plane was delayed. It was delayed. It was delayed. And so before you know, it was dark <laughs> and there was no moon. And so they were expecting the tour of San Diego, but it was dark, you know? And, and so I said, okay, I'll give them a tour of San Diego in the dark. So we drove up there to the top of Point Loma over the bay, San Diego Bay and the and Naval Air Station. We were sitting up there on the top. It was pitch black. And I said to them, now look out over here. And I said, if you could see this, <laughs> I said, there's a big San Diego Bay here, a beautiful bay. And they all went, 
Oh! <laughs> None of us could see anything. I don't even know why I told that story. Just to say that it wasn't with words that tempted Eve. It was when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So there's a very strong temptation here that the Lord is enduring as he sees all this. It was a temptation designed to attack him at the vulnerability of the weakness of his eyes. Job, being a red-blooded, whatever kind of man he was, he knew the weakness of his eyes. He knew that when he looked at a pretty woman, he fell into sinful thoughts, what he wanted to do with that woman and the way he wanted to have with her. And so this was a problem for him. And so Job took control of his eyes when it says in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? We can imagine Job is really in a fix over this, and he's talking to his eyes, and he says, now, eyes, let's you and I make an agreement on this. We're not going to look at any pretty woman, right? Because I don't want to think those kind of thoughts, because those kind of thoughts are foolish. And God says in Proverbs 24, 9, 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. So he makes an agreement. Now, the greatest tragedy that happened in the life of King David that cost the lives of tens of thousands of Israelites. It happened one warm, sleepless night in Jerusalem, which is described for us in 2 Samuel 11.2. 2 Samuel 11.2, when it says, and it came to pass in the eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and David took her and he lay with her. The fall of King David, which he regretted for the rest of his life, it cost him his family. There was murder in his home because of this. There was rape in his home because of this. It cost the lives of all those Israelites. Was all came about because he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. That's all it took. Just the looking at her for David's mind to plan out and execute his plan. All he did was look. And so he came to know the vulnerability that he had from his eyes. And so that's why later on he writes in Psalm 119.37, Psalm 119.37, turn mine eyes from beholding vanity. So the devil now aims this attack right at the eyes of the Lord when it says in verse 8, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he shows them, he not only shows them the kingdoms of the world, but he shows them in verse 8, the glory of them, the glory of them. The devil showed the Lord the glory of the kingdoms of the world. He showed all the splendor. He showed the riches. He showed the grandeur. He showed the magnificence of them all. But that was only part of what he showed just the glory of them. It was a very selective showing. He only showed the Lord the glory, but there's another part of all the kingdoms that the devil did not show the Lord. He did not show all the sin of the kingdoms of the world. He did not show all the sorrows of the kingdom of the world. He didn't show all the death and all the despair of the kings of the world. It reminds me when I was about nine years old, and I live above Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, and uh, which had really nice restaurants there on Sunset Boulevard in the 1950s. And one evening, I was behind one of those expensive 
nice restaurants. And behind the restaurant there, there was this six-foot block wall. And I was walking on that block wall, and I found this stray cat. And I liked cats, so I grabbed the cat, and I was holding the cat. And as I was carefully walking along the wall, and, well, the cat got his paw loose and scratched my face. And so I lost my balance, and I fell off that wall, and I landed with a thump, and I broke my leg. So I couldn't get up. And so there I lay on the concrete in the back of this restaurant with a broken leg, not able to get up. And it was really dirty back there. There was all the trash cans and the smell of the slop and so forth. They dumped all the trash cans back there. And I was laying there all alone and quivering because my leg was broke. And as I was laying there, I was thinking of all the people inside enjoying their expensive meals and eating their jumbo shrimp cocktails, you know, and sipping their cocktails and eating their lobster. And I was thinking to myself, nobody in that restaurant knows that I'm lying here crumpled up, quivering in the ground in pain. And I lay there for a long time. I don't know. I think it may have been closing time until someone finally came out the back door with some trash. Glad they had trash that night, you know. And they saw me and called an ambulance. Well, when it says that the devil showed the Lord all the glory of the kingdoms, that means the devil only showed him like the inside of the nice restaurants, not the back alley with the kid quivering in pain from a broken leg. And that's what the devil does. That's what he does. He only shows the glory. He doesn't show the pain. He only shows the excitement of lifting it up. He doesn't show the gloom of the hopelessness and the depression. The devil only shows the excitement of the slot machine spilling out its fortune it doesn't show the suicide of the compulsive gambler who's lost it all trying to get that slot machine to pour out its fortune to him. The devil is very selective in what he shows, the glamour and the glitter, but not the sorrow and the despair. Now the devil presents the temptation. He says in verse 9, he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, when we look at this temptation here, this third temptation, it's different from the first and the second temptations. Let me just ask you, what statement did Satan not make in this last temptation that he made in the first two temptations? Yeah, that's it. See, he didn't say, if thou be the son of God, if thou be the son of God. And the reason, why didn't he say that? I mean, he said that in the first two. Why didn't he say it in the third? It seems as though the devil feels that he has established the fact that he's not the son of God. The devil feels confident here that he's just proved that Jesus is not the son of God. I mean, from his challenge, from his first challenge, the Lord did not prove his sonship by turning stones into bread. From his second challenge, the Lord did not prove his sonship by casting him down from the temple. So since he didn't prove it, the devil feels like, okay, I've established the fact that he's not the son of God. So then what happens is that Satan now moves into the position or takes the place as if he's the son of God. And his next move is to demand worship as God, as the son of God. And he's actually claiming here to be the son of God because when he challenged the Lord, he doesn't say, if you're the son of God. And that's what people do today. People today, they challenge the Lord. Prove yourself that you're the son of God. Look, I'm sinning. Jesus, if you're God the Son, let's see you stop me. Let's see you bring some horrible thing to me as a result of my sin. Oh, no response. You're not the Son of God. 
People today are actually doing the same challenge to the Lord as the devil was doing there. And then they say, well, it's okay since he's not the son of God. I don't surrender my life to him. I don't have to obey him in supreme allegiance in life and give all my love and worship to him. He's not the son of God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 